If you're intrigued by the mysteries of the unknown, now you can investigate thousands on Discovery Plus. Stream exclusive originals plus a collection of favorites, all for just $4.99. Discovery Plus is the streaming home of paranormal, plus so much more. Start your free trial. Welcome to How We Win. The last couple of days have shown us, once again, how much work we still have to do. It's a time filled with both hope and fear, but buoyed with resolve and determination. We've won some big, important battles and have an opportunity to create real, meaningful change. Despite the worst efforts of Trump and the GOP, there are 11 days until Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be inaugurated completing the trifecta with Democrats controlling the White House and both houses of Congress. Joining us today to talk about this historic moment, what you did to make it happen, and the work we have ahead of us is Swing Left's own executive director, Tori Taylor. You'll hear her breakdown of Swing Left's work and all of the amazing work you did. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is is How How We We Win. Well, we're getting the podcast out a couple of days late, Steve. Yes, sorry for the delay, folks. Some stuff came up. Yeah, we pushed it back one day. In in like uh, excitement, right? We'll have well, we might have results from Georgia, yeah. and we did. We did. We did. Um, and they and were great results. They were great results. And and we definitely want to celebrate those results. There's, uh, um, If the events of the last couple of days have shown us anything, it's how important it is that we bring sanity back to all branches of government. So we're going to celebrate that. And, and we're going to talk about Georgia and the work that we all did together with Tori Taylor, Swing Less Executive Director. She's amazing. And I'm glad for her to rejoin us. But we did uh, push the show a couple of days because of what what happened on the Capitol, which I don't know about you, Mariah. I was expecting what happened at the Capitol, and I think many, many people saw it coming. Uh, Apparently, not the Capitol Police. I was going to say, I expected it to be a lot harder than than it looked. Yeah. I mean, it kind of looked like people just strolled in it's 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 a little strange i'll be honest i i have i have more questions than answers after kind of watching things unfold yesterday it's such a weird day on wednesday because i was watching the objections to congress certifying the vote Mm -hmm. for 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 the presidency and, and the vice president and mitch mcconnell had like a small little tiny mustard seed of making sense. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I agree with Mitch McConnell on like this one point that he's making, which is that the election was legitimate and Trump had his day in court. He lost. We've got to move on. And then an hour later, you know, the chicken the chickens come home to roost because he spent you spent the last, you know, four years enabling Trump. 
Um, McConnell didn't just enable Trump for the last four years. He laid the groundwork over the last decades for Trump to come into power. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I don't think he, you know, all of none of these people expected the monster that they unleashed on this country. I don't think that he expected Donald Trump was going to be the fruits of his labor. Very rotten, disgusting fruit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're being pithy, but, you know, somebody died. S- several people. people died. Four people, um, yes. And it's just so appalling and it hurts. It does. Um, I felt the same way listening to Mitch McConnell. And also, you reap what you sow. They're not enablers, uh, uh, solely enablers. They're, they've been incomplicit with this. And specifically, um, the Republicans who were objecting to the certification of the election results have blood on their hands. They are responsible for inciting this, um, as responsible as Trump is. Um, there's a direct lines, Josh Crawley and Ted Cruz especially. So, Ugh. yeah. Disgusting Ted Cruz. And M- Mitch McConnell's wife is you know, the first to the first, I think, cabinet level member to, to resign after the the mob attack on the yeah on the Capitol. I think over the holidays, I, I, I talked about imagining what Mitch McConnell's conversation is Thanksgiving dinner was like. <laughs> you did. That's right. I remember. <laughs> unpleasant. I think it's even more unpleasant right now. But there, there's like suddenly like a, now that Trump's almost out, these cowards are kind of find, finding their balls a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we all we all know who Trump is. Uh, I, I guess they think they're special. You know, apparently Mike Pence is really upset with how Trump is treating him. Like, I guess you know, after all that I did for him that he could do this. I mean, there was death threats from Trump supporters on Mike Pence. Some of those people were told to go find Mike Pence in the Capitol. They laid in bed with this guy. They, um, I don't know what, what they thought – their loyalty would be returned with, but um, it's all coming out now, um, and uh, and we'll see what happens over the next um, next week or so. It's it's still a very tenuous situation. I'm sure even by the time we finish recording this, there's going to be some new stuff. But there's rightfully calls for the 25th Amendment to be um, put into play or impeachment to happen right away. Trump needs to be removed from power. As soon as possible, we all know how unstable and unfit he is, but um, it's it's a terrifying prospect that he still has so much power. I also want to say, you know, I should not. I, Elaine Chow, the Secretary of Transportation, is Mitch McConnell's wife. I didn't mean to refer to her as just Mitch McConnell's wife. You should have referred to her as the self-dealing transportation secretary from Kentucky who uh, (laughs) brought projects to enrich herself as part of her duties as the transportation secretary. I don't feel sorry for her or anything like that. I just want to, you know, call her call her out by name. All all these folks deserve to be called out by name. She has she has terrible nefarious uh, accomplishments all on her own, uh, other than just being Mitch McConnell's wife. You're right. So. Thank you for letting me correct the record. I wonder what Dr. Evil's wife does. I wonder if she has her own evil career as well. <laughs> um, I'm excited for people to hear 
Tori Taylor's interview because she is an important reminder for us that we need to celebrate some things as well. Absolutely. And, and top of that is Georgia. And I just want to say, and we talk about this more, Tori, but um, obviously the work that we did in Georgia and the great victories from Reverend Warnock, now Senator Warnock, and John Ossoff, now Senator Ossoff, or I guess not, there's not sworn in yet, but you know what I mean? Um, they've Senator been over elect. Senator elects. They've, uh, is it senators elect or Senator elects? We could go on and on like this. Elect. <laughs> Senators elect, sort of like secretaries of state. Um, their great victories have been overshadowed by this. And um, we don't want your great work to be overshadowed because I know how many people really dedicated themselves yeah. to making this election happen. And and we did it in such an amazing way. The, uh, the organizations in Georgia led by Stacey Abrams, Fair Fight, New Georgia Project with Nse Ufat and Mahente who knocked on every Latinx door in the state of Georgia an incredible amount of organizing from these local groups on the ground and then swing left and other groups coming in not to try to do something on our own or duplicate efforts, but just to support the incredible organizing that's been going on in Georgia for years and years and years. That's how we really build our power. That's how we win. And we, we did it in Georgia and it's really exciting. So thank you to everyone who made a phone call, everyone who sent a text, who wrote letters, both for the general election, the presidential, and for the special election. Uh, you really made a difference and saved our democracy. We have the trifecta. We can pass all the legislation um, and, and make some real meaningful change now because of the work that you did. Absolutely. You know, I so naively thought that somehow, like midnight on December 31st, everything would change. <laughs> 2021 <laughs> we would like hit a reset button and like oh okay now we're all gonna get it together we're gonna figure out a way to unite as a country and move forward and instead we're just like at december 39th at this point 2020 <laughs> as um, when tuesday night's uh vote uh vote tallies were coming in i i tweeted a really uh pithy tweet saying that um, if we actually get a call on both races tonight and I get to watch The Bachelor, 2021 is really delivering. Uh, but I have I have yet to watch The Bachelor. It's still on my DVR because some other stuff came up. Oh, it's good. It was good. <laughs> Did you see it? Of course. It, first Black Bachelor? Of course I'm going to watch that. <laughs> I hear he's a Republican. I don't know if that <laughs> changes anything, but uh, listen, I'm I'm used to incrementalism. I take what I can. <laughs> uh, so, no more um, incrementalism now. Now we have an opportunity no. for I, some I, that, some bold change. I, I'm for bold progressive change. Yeah. So, um, which we had a, a black bachelorette and a black bachelor in less than a year. Uh, so anyway, on to more important stuff. What's what's giving you hope for the future for our first podcast of 2021? Oh my gosh. I can't believe this is our first one of 2021. It feels like this must be our 30th of 2021 at this point. But, um, <laughs> you know, my hope for the future is um, 
we just won the trifecta. We did the work we've been trying to do. We got the majority in the Senate, and we are actually going to be able to move forward with legislation that is going to make people's lives better and more equitable. You know, starting, I hope, uh, obviously coronavirus is, is, the, is the first thing. We need to get some more relief to people um, and have some competent leadership uh, helping us through this crisis and this pandemic. But then H.R. 1, getting uh, the voting rights restored, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, doing some real legislation around racial justice and so many other things. It's, it's really exciting. This cabinet, the most uh, really diverse and exciting cabinet that I have seen, where we were worried would we be able to um, confirm some of these cabinet appointees. Guess what? We have the majority in the Senate and we will be able to confirm Joe Biden's new cabinet. All of this uh, doesn't mean everything's going to change. We have to stay um, on top of on top of our elected officials and make sure that they uh, they do what we sent them there to do. Uh, we've got to fight off uh, the insurgents uh, and and challengers with the elections to come. Uh, we have to keep our communities engaged uh, during these off years during this time. But I just have I'm filled with hope for what we can achieve with some real power, not just people power that we've had, but the power of our coalitions and uh, the power of, of, of our government right now. That gives me hope. What about you? That was a long-winded answer. Uh, no, that was uh, that was all great and hopeful stuff. And I, I just love being reminded of, of what's coming in just a few short weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, I joke about the universe having a reset button or time having a reset button, but, you know, this is something we'll talk a little bit with Tori about in a, in a minute is um, we're in a great moment to hit reset ourselves. And I'm really looking forward to, to a, ha- having a little woosah moment, as some of us call it, <laughs> taking a break. And <laughs> what is, getting, what is that? just getting like if I don't have to spend every weekend making phone calls or writing um, letters or feeling guilty about not doing that stuff, then <laughs> then I can take some time to think about and get excited about the st- all the stuff that's coming up and really like dive back into everything with a, like a renewed sense of excitement and accomplishment. And um, that's just a na- you know a natural I think way to feel at the beginning of a year, but at the beginning of a year where we take control of the house, the Senate and the white house. It's, you know, great reset moment. Absolutely. We have some real hope for the future and it's because of the great work that you did. So um, please take that in and and take a minute. We're going to be having some uh, inauguration kind of events and stuff that are coming up. So we'll give you the heads up on, on what those are uh, next week. Yeah. Yeah. We want everyone to really celebrate the inauguration. I've heard that people are going to be wearing inaugural ball clothes to watch (laughs) some of the inauguration events. So I just want to, I really encourage that. I like it. I'll do that for the top half. I'm still going to wear shorts and no shoes, but uh, (laughs) I'll wear my tux top or something. I don't have a tux, (laughs) Yeah, so so uh, take a breath, everyone. Uh, great work. We have the trifecta. You guys did it. It's so uh, I, you know, my gratitude for all the volunteers is boundless. 
And um, I'm excited for you to hear from our executive director, Tori Taylor. She's amazing. We're lucky to have her leading Swing Left right now. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Welcome, Tori Taylor, Swing Left's own executive director. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be with y'all in the new year. It is. It's the new year. Um, mm -hmm. 2021 is off to a rambunctious start. <laughs> off to a chaotic start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're you're in D.C. right now, Tori. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I am. I am in D.C. Uh, you know, I've got to be honest. <laughs> I am feeling a little rough. Uh, yeah. It's been a whirlwind 48 hours. Um, you know, less than 48 hours ago, we were at the highest of highs with Democrats winning both Georgia Senate elections uh, mm -hmm. and securing the Senate majority that we needed. And that was just, I was filled with so much joy um, on Tuesday night and early Wednesday morning. But as we saw yesterday, a pro-Trump white nationalist militia descended upon our United States Capitol building and threatened the very democracy that we at Swing Left fight for and so many of the folks that are listening fight for and hold dear and it was a jarring and deeply unsettling event to watch on live television. You know, watching this president and his Republican allies like Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, literally incite mm -hmm. treasonous acts against our country was enraging. It was sad. It was disturbing. Um, you know, just a whirlwind of emotions at once. And also unsurprising, you know, these are mm -hmm. claims that the Republican Party and Donald Trump have been not only fanning, but lighting the match to and setting the fire for years. Um, yeah. And so it was a really tough thing to witness yesterday. And I just live a couple miles from the Capitol. And so uh, when this really started to escalate yesterday, I was in the middle of leading one of Swing Left's all staff meetings and, you know, getting notifications, hearing sirens outside. And, you know, that was really alarming. I have a lot of friends and former colleagues who work on the Hill and I live right beside the neighborhood of Capitol Hill. And so it was a little jarring thinking just about my personal surroundings and those I care about in the DC community. And, you know, I spent a lot of time last night just really being angry, you know, about Donald Trump, the Republican Party, how they have incited these violent, seditious acts. And again, like I said, you know, not just fanning the flames, but really setting the house on fire. And we saw a number of Republicans slowly start to speak out last night um, when things were escalating and condemning violence and, you know, telling protesters to be peaceful. And, you know, a lot of this language that is just incredibly hollow. Right. You get no credit for telling us the house is on fire when you set the house on fire. Right. Uh, you are not a hero. You are not courageous. You are a coward. 
Um, I heard someone say that they're um, that they're arsonists trying to make us believe that they're the firemen. Exactly, it's you know a national gaslighting that the this Republican Party is so skilled at, and so I I've been struggling with those emotions, but also you know holding on to the joy of what happened in Georgia. Um, I think that part of the Republican strategy is this psychological violence of snatching away what should be joyful, important Mm. inflection moments, not only for our party and our progressive movement, but for the whole country. There is so much work that went into the success that we saw in Georgia. And so while I am angered by what happened yesterday, I refuse to lose sight of the progress that we not only made in Georgia and all of the incredible work that organizers in Georgia and across the country put into that effort, but also the success that we had in November. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to be president and vice president of the United States. We have a House majority. We have a Senate majority. And nothing is going to take that away from us, not even you know these militias that are descending upon our capital and our you know treasonous president our democracy is still going to prevail. And so I am choosing to be angry, but also sit with the fact that we won and nobody can take that away from us. You know, it's such an important point that that you're saying, and, and Steve and I were talking about this earlier, that, you know, Reverend Warnock got a few hours for us to celebrate and, and have this like platform where he got to, you know, talk about what's to come. And John Ossoff hasn't really had that opportunity because his win was announced in the midst of the chaos at the Capitol. But it's really important for us to recognize those wins and the people who helped get them there, because it was really this national effort to get these two Senate seats. So can you talk about um, how Swing Left contributed to supporting the the Georgia organizations that, that made this happen and the, the organizers there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what we saw in Georgia, you know, not only in November, but also this past Tuesday was really a culmination of years and years of work and mainly from folks on the ground in Georgia, um, folks like Stacey Abrams, organizations like New Georgia Project, Fair Fight, um, the Georgia Democratic Party, Congresswoman Nakima Williams, late Congressman John Lewis. You know, there are so many people who have a piece of that success on Tuesday. And, you know, I think it really started with the bold vision that folk, that leaders like Stacey Abrams, you know, had for Georgia years ago and really planted this multi-cycle strategy, really centering people of color and engaging more people in the democratic process in Georgia, expanding the electorate, engaging people to be habitual voters, and really empowering the people on the ground in Georgia to participate in our democracy at levels that, you know, we we hadn't seen in previous elections in Georgia. And, you know, that vision and that excitement that really started on the ground over the last few election cycles really allowed organizations like Swing Left to come in 
this cycle and partner with the Georgia Democratic Party, um, Reverend Warnock, John Ossoff, um, and organizations on the ground to provide that extra capacity from an organizing standpoint, also a fundraising standpoint. And so we spent a lot of time this past year raising money for Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff, directing volunteers, not only to those Senate races, um, but to the efforts to help elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the state and also um, some key state legislative races in Georgia. And then for the runoff, you know, we went all in. Georgia was our number one focus the last couple months and partnering with these folks on the ground to really direct as much capacity as we could. And uh, we were really proud to be part of that effort in Georgia and to provide, you know, that partnership and the support for folks on the ground. And I think that what we saw is an incredible roadmap in Georgia for states across the country, particularly in the South, that with a bold vision, with year-round investment, both from a financial standpoint and also an organizing and mobilizing standpoint, you know, we can have more Georgias. <laughs> Georgia mm-hmm. can be, you know, the first big success that, you know, we had um, over the next few, had over the next few years in the South. And, um, you know, we see a lot of promise in a number of other states in the South. You know, I think a lot of people give credit to Stacey Abrams for the work that she did um, to get us to this point in Georgia. And there are Stacey Abrams all across this country. <laughs> There's a Stacey mm-hmm. Abrams in Mississippi. There's a Stacey Abrams in Alabama. You know, there are incredible leaders across the country who really have this a similar bold vision for their states. And it really just shows you that even in tough places, even in places that look quote unquote red this year, that doesn't have to be their destiny. And with, you know, this type of vision and planning and organizing that we can replicate what we saw in Georgia and states across the country. And so it was really exciting when Joe Biden won the state in November. And, you know, I think Georgia being the state that really secured Democrats having a Senate majority is a really, really special thing. And I think it's going to be a highlight for me, at least, um, when I reflect on our work in the 2020 election. Absolutely. You know, we had our our Senate picks and and certain seats seemed like they were going to be more promising than others. And I don't think really anyone saw these being the two seats that were going to uh, win the majority in the Senate for us. But I 100% agree with you. Amen, sister, about the blueprint that Stacey Abrams has uh, laid out for us about how we should be organizing across the country. You also saw it in Arizona that we flipped yeah. too, um, a state that was led by uh, you know Latinx and Native American organizers and uh, has been working, building their power uh, there for multiple election cycles. And we flipped that state too. It's exciting to me because uh, I love the notion of investing in high potential voters, the ones that campaigns usually leave behind when they're building out their universes and and focused so much on swing voters or or, or whatever they're they're likely supporters. So I hope that we can we can do that. And I think swing left is is well positioned because of the way that we organize communities. We organize people to build up their own groups in their own communities. I think we're well positioned to do that year round. Um, Since you've been at Swing Left, there's been a lot of changes in how we organize. And and most of it has been brought on by the coronavirus, obviously. It's made 
the work that we've done even more remarkable considering uh, what we had to overcome to reach out to voters. What are the lessons that you've learned? Obviously, you just talked about some of them in the blueprint Stacey Abrams put out, but what are the lessons you've learned since you've been at Swing Left that you want to apply to the organization and how we organize moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think that it's really hard to talk about the lessons of 2020, particularly from a program and an organizing standpoint without, you know, acknowledging the pivots that organizations like Swing Left and others had to make because of coronavirus. And I think that the pandemic has really changed the way that we're going to campaign forever. You know, we were really forced to be nimble and adapt to a lot of these virtual organizing tactics um, out of necessity. But I think what we've also found is there's been a lot of creativity and a lot of innovation in terms of how we can reach people, how we can organize people, the value of meeting people where they are and adapting um, you know, our user experience in terms of how we think about recruiting a volunteer and bringing them into the organization, ensuring that they have a quality experience and an impactful action available to them. And the same way from a donation standpoint, you know, how do we bring in more people, give them a good quality user experience, really break down, you know, the strategy of, you know, what we're trying to accomplish and what our electoral objectives are to really help people see how they fit into that strategy and how impactful their couple hours of volunteer time can be or that monthly donation can be. And so I think, you know, one of the biggest lessons that I'm taking away moving into 2021 is we have to keep innovating. We have to keep thinking creatively of like how we meet people where they are, how are we taking the best practices of what we learned this year with that pivot to virtual organizing, and how do we apply those um, moving forward? You know, eventually we will be able to resume in-person activities and hopefully uh, come back to, uh, you know, what looks a little bit more like a normal life once, you know, the vaccine is distributed and um, this pandemic is over. And I think that, you know, the way that we think about digital and virtual organizing will still be with us. You know, I think it also Mm -hmm. has opened up a lot of doors in terms of who can participate when. We had a number of volunteers who may not have lived in a swing district or did not have the capacity to travel to a swing district or a swing state, and they were able to participate in virtual activities like phone banking, texting, writing letters, organizing virtually in terms of affinity groups around particular places. And, you know, typically organizing has been very based in geography, very specific to a state, a district, um, and you know, a lot of those boundaries were just erased with COVID because everyone was online. And so I think that there are challenges to that, but I also think that there's a lot of interesting things that we can learn moving forward about how we keep that accessibility frame of keeping this work accessible to all who want to participate. Um, And so I'm really excited to continue to dig into that. I'm really excited to return back to normal uh, after the pandemic is over. But I think that there are a lot of things that, you know, we have learned from having to pivot into this virtual and digital space so quickly this year that I think we can take moving forward. Um. Yeah, it's been a it's been a great time for innovation and in a tough time for doing the things that we know for sure worked. Do you have any, you know, predictions or like fantasies about 
what you'd have volunteers doing in, you know, the, the first few months of 2021? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's such an interesting question. <laughs> Fantasies or predictions. Um, yeah, you know, I think the first thing that I would say is everyone should take a, a breather, <laughs> right? Like we, I know that so many of our Swing Loft volunteers and donors and our overall grassroots community put in so much into the 2020 elections. And then they stepped up again to put in so much for the Georgia elections. And we couldn't have been successful without all of that work. And we, you know, our grassroots community really stepped up every single time we asked them to. And I think one thing that's really important about maintaining long-term political activism and leadership is we have to sustain ourselves to sustain the movement. And I think everyone deserves a break, (laughs) some rest um, to recharge you know, we weren't just fighting through a very intense and at times quite traumatic election cycle um, with this president and this Republican Party, but we were also doing it in the midst of a global pandemic. And, you know, so many parts of our lives blurred from working from home to <laughs> continuing to live at home and kind of all being confined to this space. Um, and so that's the first thing I would say is that I really hope uh, volunteers and folks who are engaged in this election do give themselves a break, give them, give themselves some space to also feel really excited and joyful about what happened in Georgia, the success that we had in November, and not let, you know, the psychological violence of this Republican Party and what's going on with this president completely take away that well-deserved credit that volunteers deserve to give themselves. And then, you know, looking ahead, I think that there's going to be a lot of things coming up in 2021 and 2022 as we kind of continue to build programs to protect the majorities that you know we have won over the last few years. You know, there are going to be elections in 2021. There's going to be a Virginia gubernatorial race. There's going to be the House of Delegates races in Virginia. And for those who were involved with Swing Left in 2019, you know how much effort we put in to flipping the Virginia state legislature and we're successful. And now we need to make sure we protect that, particularly on the House side and also elect a Democratic governor in Virginia in 2021. There are going to be a number of municipal races and other elections in 2021. And also we're going to go through redistricting. This summer, we're going to see the results of the census and we're going to see state legislatures across the country go through this once in a decade redistricting process. And I think you're going to see a lot of advocacy efforts, particularly in states that have a lot at stake when it comes to redistricting, whether they may have had incredibly gerrymandered maps for the last 10 years, whether they may be losing or gaining a seat um, in Congress. I think you're going to see a lot of advocacy efforts um, that volunteers are going to be able to plug into and make sure that their voices are heard during that redistricting process, which is just going to be so incredibly important in terms of laying the groundwork for the fights that we're going to face over the next 10 years. You know, this is over the summer in this redistricting process is going to determine, you know, what the ground looks like that we're fighting on. And so that's going to be incredibly important. And at the end of that process, we'll also know what our congressional map looks like in 2022. You know, we have very slim majorities in 
the House of Representatives, and we have a 50-50 majority in the Senate. And so while we have a Democratic trifecta in federal government that's going to be so, so important, um, you know, to really enact a bold, forward-looking vision for millions of people in this country, those majorities are thin and they are fragile. And so looking ahead, we really need to be prepared to put up a wall against, you know, a red wave that could come in 2022. You know, historically, whatever party is holding power in the White House typically loses seats in Congress during that first midterm year. And so we have data to, you know, kind of inform how we approach 2022 and what that historically could look like. And so we need to spend 2021 taking a break, taking a breather, recharging ourselves, and, you know, beginning that organizing process to ensure that we're able to protect these very thin majorities and fight for all the progress that we have spent the last few years really working towards. Yeah, absolutely. More will be revealed at the redistricting for sure. There's some obvious targets ahead that we're all going to be working really hard on. And and the more that our groups can, you know, stay active locally too in, in the meantime, I think is really important um, because that's, that's the work of being a citizen. That's the work of civics is to be engaged in your communities. And I can say for myself that I learned a lot over the last four years about how to do that and why it's so important. So I, I really hope that... Um, our volunteers and group members continue to, to do that as well. Um, these last couple of days have been, as we talked about at the beginning, have been such a combination of of hope and anxiety and fear and um, everything all at once, all the highs and lows, the emotions of, of winning those seats, winning the trifecta that we all worked so hard for, and, uh, and this horrible assault on on these very voters that, that won this trifecta for us. Um, mm-hmm. Having said all of that, what gives you the most hope for our future right now? It's mm, a good question. You know, as, as I think you, Steve and, and Ryan know in 2018, I, managed a congressional race for Kathy Manning in North Carolina. And we didn't win that year, but she actually ran again in 2020 and got elected to rep as the first woman to represent North Carolina's sixth district. And she was thrilled. I was thrilled. It was great Mm -hmm. to see our work that we started a few years ago, get across the finish line and this past week was Congresswoman Kathy Manning's first week as a member of Congress. And mm-hmm. she took her first vote. She got an office. She hired staff and everything. And it was exciting. And yesterday afternoon, she was on the House gallery. She was in the House gallery when this mob broke out and threatened our democracy uh, that we all hold so dear. And she, along with other members of Congress, her staff, um, other folks in the Capitol building had to run, had to protect themselves, had to go on lockdown um, for hours against these treasonous lunatics who were trying to take over our government. And I was so worried about her, you know, as I was watching this unfold on television, her and I were texting. And while she was on lockdown, I was so, so glad to hear she was safe. Um, but had to assume that her and all of these other members of Congress and their teams had to be so incredibly shaken and jarred from the events that were happening in real time. And I just couldn't imagine how traumatic those hours 
had to have been for them. And, you know, I, I just feel like if I were, if I had been in their shoes, I would have been, you know, really a mess, <laughs> just really yeah. upset, really scared. But, you know, as the night went on and as the Capitol became secured, those same members of Congress went back to the Capitol to certify the election and were up to all hours of uh, the morning certifying the election. And, you know, Kathy sent me a text as she was finishing and she just said, I'm proud to be here. I'm proud to be doing my job. This is my purpose. This is why I'm here. And that stuck with me so much, that clarity of purpose from this freshman member of Congress who had just gone through such a terrifying and traumatic day, her purpose, and along with hundreds of other members to protect our democracy and certify that election, even in the face of the treasonous acts committed by the president of the United States and his Republican allies, her number one priority was to do her job and do what people sent her there to do. And that gave me a lot of perspective. Um, you know, no matter how dark our days are, how how much evil we face in our country's adversaries, both foreign and domestic, we will win with that clarity of purpose. You know, we won in November. We won in Georgia. Congress certified the results of the election last night. Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. We won and we will continue to win as long as we maintain that clarity of purpose and that mission as individuals, as a progressive movement, um, I believe we will always get across that finish line. And like I said earlier, our majorities are fragile. You know, our wins were really important, um, but the, we have slim numbers. And it's not just our majority that's fragile. You know, as we've seen over the last 24 hours, it's really highlighted how fragile democracy is. It's so easy to take democracy for granted as a young country. And, you know, it continues to be this young, fragile experiment, and it has to be defended every generation, every single one. Congressman John Lewis actually had a great quote that I, you know, often go back to um, where he says that democracy is not a state, it is an act, and each generation must do its part. And we have seen how true that is this week. And so I have hope because of people like Congresswoman Kathy Manning, who despite everything that she went through yesterday, still the first thing on her mind was, I have a job to do, and that is to protect our democracy. Um, I have hope because we won in November. I have hope because we won on Tuesday. And I also have hope because we won and no one can take that away from us, despite what they try. Um, what an incredible and powerful story. Thank you so much for giving us a, a behind the scenes look at, at what was going on. I think there was a lot of it's important to remember that there was a lot of bravery and commitment that was happening in D.C. as well this week. Absolutely. Well, Tori Taylor, Executive Director of Swing Left from Taylorville, North Carolina. Thank, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, of course. Thank you both. And uh, thanks for all y'all do on this show. You um, provided such a great platform for not only the Swing Left community, but 
thousands of other people and um, also deserve credit for helping connect folks with action this past election. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and for stepping up to take action. This is how we win, how we won. (laughs) We won because we all got involved. We won. This is how we won. (laughs) (laughs) We want to hear from you. Please tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at Mariah underscore Craven. Or shoot us an email at podcast at swingleft.org. If you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. We appreciate you being here with us, and we'll be back with some more next Wednesday. See you then. MSW Media.